This is the Distinctly Detroit Podcast. The only pod that explores why one wants to be in the D. I am your host, Fiota Ship III, the director of the University of Michigan Detroit Center. Join me as I interview students, scholars, leaders, and innovators about living, working, and loving in Detroit. Today, our guest today our guest today is, was a White House political appointee during the Barack Obama presidency. Today, he wants to be a catalyst in the intersection of sports, the private sector, and social responsibility. He received his Master's of Professional Studies from Georgetown University and a Bachelor of Arts in Sports Management from the University of Michigan. Hailing from the metropolitan Detroit area, he is currently the director of social impact and DEI strategy at, Bu- at Buzzer, a technology company that delivers personalized live moments in sports to fans. He uses the power of sports to improve race relations and give social progress. We proudly welcome Dexter Mason to the DDP. Dexter, welcome, sir. No, thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. It's definitely an honor and privilege. Anytime the intersection of Detroit, University of Michigan, this is home for me. So this this is exactly where I want to be. So thank you for having me once again. Go Blue. Yeah, Go Blue, yes. Uh, So what sparked your interest in a career in sports? Yeah, honestly, it goes back to my time when I was a kid. I'm a big basketball fan, big basketball junkie. I had hoop dreams. I wanted to make it the NBA. I wanted to be the next Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, whoever, Chris Webber. But unfortunately, in seventh grade, I actually got cut for my middle school basketball team. So I was one of the last cuts, did not make it. I walked home in tears, walking back home, had to explain to my parents I got cut. And my parents, I have the greatest parents in the world, and I really appreciate their candor I'm at age 13. But they said, hey, you're probably not going to make the NBA. You probably are not going to be the next Michael Jordan, but you still can work in sports. You can own a team. You can run a team. You can have a career in sports off the court, off the field. And so that kind of exposed me to the whole sector of sports business, sports management. And I knew that when I got to high school and you know, eventually doing my college search, I wanted to go to a school that offered a sport management major, which is the more the business side of the industry that's cool yeah i I like to think about young people there's a whole career beyond just playing in sports whole things a whole ecosystem that's a multi-billion dollar ecosystem Ecosystem. that is global now yes (laughs) uh how is working with in different major sports leagues prepared you for your career today Yes. I mean, working, whether it's in college athletics, I had a chance to work for the student manager, or work for the men's basketball team at University of Michigan as well okay. as student manager. So my experience also been with Major League Baseball, Detroit Pistons, et cetera. And for me, I think every experience, I really learned two things. One, how to be a great teammate. I know it's very cliche, but just how to be a great teammate, support maybe other people's vision, other companies' vision, and be the, you know, play what role you're supposed to play in that project, in that initiative, within that organization. But then also when to be a leader, when to step up, hopefully, you know, when to empower others, inspire others to follow the vision that you're trying to lead, the initiative you're trying to lead. So I think working, even though I wasn't always on the court or on the field, just being Working in sports, being part of teams, really allowed me to kind of use those skills in whether it's in politics, sports, business, and even in my academic career, too. Okay. 
So what was your experience like working in the Obama administration? And what kind of what was your role? Man, the Obama administration, that's still one of the one of the, one of the like you know, one of the greatest experiences of my life, once in a lifetime experience. Yeah. I mean, just kind of give you some more context. My senior year in high school in, in two thousand eight is when President Obama was elected. So I missed the presidency in terms of being able to vote by a few weeks. I'm born in December, the election was in November. And so for me, despite not be me not being able to vote. I still knocked on doors of my parents, knocking on different communities, getting people registered to vote and getting to the polls. And for me, I just love that mobilization of community of people. And I think that really sparked my public service interests and political um, interests and race relations and everything like that. Um, but yeah, it was a once a lifetime experience. Uh, I, I actually, candidly, I applied for an internship four times. Okay. I got it on my fourth time in graduate school at Georgetown. I applied many times when I was at the University of Michigan and was rejected every single time. And so hopefully persistence actually worked out in, in my favor. Yeah. In my last semester in grad school, I was an uh, intern in the Office of Public Engagement, Intergovernmental Affairs. And so I worked on the private sector engagement team. So anytime the president, the vice president Biden at the time, and senior level officials in, 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 engage with their inner with the private sector, so Fortune 500 companies, CEOs, Silicon Valley, small businesses, entrepreneurs, anytime the president interacted with that community, my the team I worked on as an intern, we all handled all that all those affairs and engagements. We held meetings, convenings, and so that was just really great exposure. There was a lot of times I, as an intern, I was the clearly youngest and most junior person in the rooms, but it would be President Obama along with you know 20 Fortune 50 CEOs, and you you know the whole goal was really using the private sector to advance the president's agenda, whether it's, you know, um, increasing the, you know, uh, gender equity pay, especially for women, um, you know, expanding medical, family medical leave as well, and just really trying to find ways to raise the minimum wage. A lot of issues that Congress was not passing, candidly. Yeah. It was stuff our team was trying to use to be more creative. How can we advance the president's agenda in another way, in another sector? So I served as an intern for four months, and then I actually switched over full-time as a staff, a staff assistant in the Office of Management and Administration, and I really worked on a lot of the larger events that happen on the White House complex and manage a lot of those logistics as soon as people, even the invites that go out to the people coming in. So some of the events were the Easter egg roll yeah. or when Pope Francis came back in 20, 2015 or when sports teams won championships, I would help to support a lot of those events. So it was really cool to see as a sports fan and a basketball fan, seeing a lot of the athletes and teams that came in to visit the White House at that time. That's cool. So you actually got to plan the White House Easter egg hunt? So I don't take credit for planning everything. I definitely help support um, a lot of the initiatives. And kind of we have a huge run of show that goes through every single yeah. kind of like minute by minute and what gates people come in and whole secret service and all that. So I definitely played a role in part of the plan execution. But, yes, okay. it was it was really cool. That's so, so. I want, you know, yes. when I was a little kid, I wanted to go to that. We got to so get bad. we got to get you go. No, I adults still. I always thought that Easter egg thing was so cool. It's so funny because I really yeah. feel like adults now when I when I was working there I see adults bringing their kids and their children they have more fun I feel like yeah. it's like they wanted to go because they probably did an opportunity to go with children and be able to bring their kids there and we even did the trick-or-treating for the White House so the, you know the first lady Michelle Obama and and President Obama would you know pass out candy we helped with that I dressed up as you know as a Halloween costume passing out candy with them and so it was just really cool experience just seeing people coming to the White House is really it is the people's house and yeah. really seeing people's faces when they come in and 
then shaking the president's hand and just that's all what it's about really is just serving others so it, it was really great and a privilege and honor to be part of that administration that's really awesome now it seems to me that you've been able to leverage the connections you've made mm -hmm. over time mm -hmm. very well yeah. so how valuable has networking been to you in your career development yeah. Honestly, I think very vital. I think in the day, everything's about relationships and, you know, kind of who you know. I mean, I really give it back to my parents. They really, you know, treat people with respect. doesn't matter if they're a senior level person or head of organization. They could be the receptionist. I mean, I go back to my, my, my mom in particular. She was a receptionist for most of her early career when she was pregnant. My older brother had my older brother being a single mother and you know, uh, marry my dad shortly after. And, and for me, my parents always, you know, treat people with respect regardless of who they are, what they do. You never know, you know, that person could be the boss in the future. And just, treat, just honestly, just humanity and treat people with respect. So for me, Bill, I have a lot of great friends, a lot of great relationships, exposure, a lot, lot due to the University of Michigan, candidly, that now it, we've kind of seen the fruits of the labor. So I guess networking is very important. I really look at it as relationship building, um, candidly, and I kind of look at that as approach. I, you know, network, I usually think there is like a transactional kind of into it. And so I kind of look at relationship building, just treating people respect, having common interests, finding common ground and, and helping people out. And so I, that's what I've noticed in my career early on. Cause I know I'm not maybe the smartest in the room sometimes, maybe not the most talented, but I'm definitely hopefully one of the hardest working and really using kind of that sports um, analogy, being a great teammate and win the lead and kind of using some of those relationship building skills to kind of advance my career so far. That's cool. You worked for a president. You worked yes. for a billionaire real estate mogul. Yes. <laughs> yes. <coughs> Excuse me. What led to your interest in being part of social change? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back a little bit to my time in high school, just mobilizing, um, you know, communities to vote, even though I was not eligible to vote. And then my senior year in college, it was the first time I was able to vote in a presidential election. So that was President Obama's re-election in 2012. And so for me, I was part of a, a black fraternity on campus, Kappa Alpha Psi, Fraternity Incorporated. And my fraternity, along with other fraternity sororities on campus, Black Student Union, NAACP, et cetera, we all, that was the first presidential election we all participate in uh, for the most part. And so it was really great for us to mobilize our classmates, our communities to vote, get registered to vote, especially a lot of folks that might have been from out of state or even live in Detroit, but voting in Ann Arbor instead or vice versa, just really educating why it's important for us to engage and also just from a historical perspective, voting for a, a black president, um, you know, for us, it was just representation matters. And it was just really, you know, really cool to be part of that experience. And so for me, I had this kind of kind of like Tulsa or two parallel tracks in college. I majored in sport management, business side of sports, working, interning in sports, but also I had this political bug on the end. And I really thought it was a hobby. I didn't really think that you could intersect both of them. And so yeah. for me, at, by, by the time my senior year, I was like, I was trying to think about what I want to do after college. And really I had these two passions. Let me at least explore if there is an intersection. Yeah. Um, and if not, how can I create it? And that's really what happened. And I really believe Nelson Mandela said it best. You know, he actually thinks sports is most powerful you know, tool, vehicle to, you know, uh, break down barriers, even barriers stronger than a government can do. And so that's something he's been really famous about. I know they made a whole movie on Invictus and, and rugby and everything after that. And so, um, you know, for me, I really believe in that quote and kind of using power, the power of sports to unify people, bring people together. And if you go into a sporting event, you'll see the most diverse background of people. In terms of, it doesn't matter, social, economical, class, race, gender, et cetera. We both want to root for the Pistons, the University of Michigan. We both love Tom Brady. Jim Harbaugh, whoever, Juwan Howard, yeah. we all have we all you know have that fandom, and that's I think a really common thing that a common bond that really can hopefully make some real progress and change. 
Not, I gotta get a. We gotta find a Juwan Howard bobblehead for. The oh table. yeah, no, we gotta get one for the table. Yeah. Find a I was gonna add. Yeah, we'll get one. We'll yeah, get one. We gotta get one. Yeah. So, um, and last time I saw you, yeah. you you changed jobs since then. Yes. But uh, you worked for an organization called Rise. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about Rise yes. and what your role there was. Yeah, Rise was a very unique time, and I actually give credit to Stephen Ross, who's the founder of Rise. Um, you know, kind of having the foresight. I think he believed in the same thing in the power of sports. I know he's the owner of the Miami Dolphins, and obviously a big you know donor to the University of Michigan athletic department in particular as well. And so he created Rise, which at the time stood for the Ross Initiative. In Sports for Equality. Now the name is officially Rise R I S E, but it was an organization that uses the power of sports to improve race relations. Uh, sorry, use the power of sports to improve race relations, and it brought together the entire sports community. It was the first kind of nonprofit really to bring the commissioners of every single professional major professional sports league together on a board. And so he, you know, kind of went around to every league. Hey, I'm going to fund this, you know, off my own money. I really believe in the power of sports. I would love everybody's buy-in support. And so that's what happened. So I joined. Uh, toward, you know, in 20, 2016. 2016 was a very unique time in our country's, you know, history in terms of political and social context and commentary. I joined in June 2016 Rise. Uh, I was leading a lot of the events and programming for the organization and based here in Detroit, which was really great. But what I think six weeks after I joined, Colin Kaepernick started kneeling. Three months after that, President Trump was elected. And we saw this kind of resurgence of athletes, activism, and athletes using their platform for change. And you really saw the true world's colliding of sports and politics and social change. And so for me being there for three years and kind of being an intersection, we did a lot of initiatives around voting and civic engagement and mobilizing the sports community and fans to get out to vote in 2018. We've done a lot of programs and even off the record conversations with professional sports teams on how to, you know, talk about race in the locker room and how especially different athletes are comfortable sharing their views. Some are not. We've created playbooks on how, you know, teams and athletes can really leverage their platform and really be educated on a lot of these issues. We brought in thought leaders. And so it was a really great experience. Had a chance to go to a few Super Bowls at my time, Final Fours, et cetera. And so for me as a sports fan, I really feel like I was living the dream in terms of that intersection of sports and social change. So I'm curious. Mm -hmm. uh, Steve, I've never had the pleasure of meeting Stephen yeah. M. Ross. He's originally from Detroit. Yes. Uh, he's Michigan alum. Yep. He starts this organization about mm. racial equity in sports, yeah. yet he's getting sued by a <laughs> former coach yes. for racism. Don't you yes. find that kind of ironic? Yeah, it's ironic. I mean, I, you know, I can't speak on the current, you know, what's going on there in terms of, but it's definitely ironic, but also just shows us some of the, the complexities in our society once again, where sometimes even you saw in 2020, a lot of corporations saying Black Lives Matter, right? And yeah. you see their board or their C-suite <laughs> candidly are not reflective of that yeah. statement. And so that's why I think, you know, there's only so much I can control in terms of the work I do. I really believe in the work that Rise is continuing to do now and the power of sports to, to affect that change. I do think it is, you know, just unfortunate the whole situation where, you know, once again, black and brown folks, women trying to, you know, progress in the sports arena are having issues where there's shame, you know, shammed interviews and, you know, do not feel like they're feeling like they're tokenized. And so I think when I was actually in grad school at Georgetown, I actually wrote my capstone project and thesis on the Rooney Rule and how to improve it and strengthen it. And so for me, it has always been something I though could, I thought the tool was powerful, but it has been weaponized, unfortunately, over the last few years. And just thinking of sports yeah. and um, society and yeah. change, 
you have any thoughts on the Britney Griner situation? Yeah, I mean, I do believe, I mean, it's just sad that she's over there. I, I mean, I don't know all the, you know, behind the scenes what's going on. Candidly, the stuff I'm reading, we're all kind of seeing yeah. in the news. It seems like, you know, the goal was her not to be used as a pawn with a lot of the, you know, issues with the, you know, invasion in Ukraine. In Ukraine. And yeah. so I do believe just knowing some of the folks I, that at the WNBA work at the NBA league office, commissioner's office, I know they're definitely are, you know, using everything, every tool in their box to work with the State Department to bring her home. I think I read this morning that, you know, she has nine days left um, in terms of her court appearance, so that might be okay. the earliest she hopefully she can get out. But it is sad that, you know, WNBA just kicked off, you know, their another season last week, and, you know, she's not there. I mean, this could be compared to if, God forbid, this happened to a player like Chris Paul or LeBron James, people don't realize the magnitude of how much she means to the league and to the sport. Um, and so it's, it's really unfortunate. And I hope that, you know, I, I've been praying every day and hoping that she does get home. And I know there's been, you know, different advocacy, the, you know, different, um, the league is donating, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to her nonprofit and, and different efforts to help continue her, her legacy and presence. But yeah, I, I, I do believe in the government's doing everything they can to bring her home right now. Yeah. I, do. No, I just, I, think it's just a really strange situation it's and so strange and only people realize how it is over there yeah. yeah and i also just wonder how you know what would the reaction be if she weren't an african-american lesbian exactly basketball player over there yep. if she were a a white woman you know heterosexual yep. basketball player would there yep. be more of an uproar if there You're were so chris paul being yes over it was there, a male yep it'd mm -hmm. be more of an uproar it's just it's yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, I think there's so many. And once again, it shows like how this pandemic is not. It just shed on light on so many inequities, disparities, stereotypes. We're seeing it's you know the situation is another classic case of that. And also too the fact that she has to play over there. Brittany has to play in her off season or can't, that's actually her season off season, yeah. the WNBA season um, candidly, because like, you know, in terms of supplementing income, getting more income, she has to play. And, you know, a lot of these women have to play in these countries that might not have the same democracy and values that we have here in the United States. And so that's a no whole nother issue of how can we bring these you know women to play in the United States all year. So they don't have to go to Russia or other countries okay. to play to supplement or even enhance their income. I mean, we're seeing a lot too, a lot of, women who've been drafted in the first round of the WNBA draft this year have been cut uh, after, I mean, a few weeks. Their first round picks getting cut, college stars, because not of roster spaces. So hopefully there's expansion of the leagues. Hopefully there's more money being put into to WNBA because we cannot have a situation like this again. Yeah. It reminds, it reminds me of how you'll hear a current yeah. professional player say, oh, those guys back in the day couldn't compete with us. They yep. used to, they used to sell shoes. They yeah, were, they, were selling they were plumbers shoes. and they were right, exactly plumbers, right. Stuff. Like, but right. they didn't make enough money. Right. Exactly, so they had to exactly do those things. I forgot what player I listened to a podcast recently. I forgot who who it was or what podcast, but they mentioned that one of the players was actually selling tickets for the team he was on in the off season to get people to come to the game. Yeah. So he was a player selling his own tickets to the team he was on, and that was I think back in the sixties or early seventies in the NBA, which is mind-blowing, but that was the realities at the time. Now they make yes. hundreds of millions of dollars. I know. I'm like, I wish I still had my hoop dreams at that time. <laughs> and they say Tom Brady about to make more money uh, with the broadcasting career than he yes. made in his whole football that career. That $375 million reported. I don't know. That's 10 years. I don't know if he's going to do 10 years, but that's a lot of money. So. Oh, he's going to broadcast Yeah, he's going to broadcast 10 years. He's yeah. probably going to do he that. He's going to play yeah. football for 20 plus. Yeah, that's he fair. That's, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. So, uh, 
so how have you been able to at this point again how have you been able to bring that intersection of sports mm. and politics together yeah in your career and uh tell us more a little bit more about your new role yeah my new role i definitely it's definitely a blessing i mean for me most of my background has been really kind of the sports sector or you know nonprofit or political space this first time working in tech we all know how much technology especially the last two years we depend on technology for communication the way of work and how much that can continue to be a dominant you know sector in our society in terms and so for me i always had some interest of working in tech i'm not an engineer i don't know i don't know how to code stem was not the strongest academic um, um you know i was not the best in stem growing up in terms of college and in high school and growing up but for me i was always fast about how once again very similar to sports how technology can be used for good to bring people together and so for me once again how can I kind of use a lot of these interests and so for me yeah I am at Buzzard. Buzzard is a early stage um, startup as a sports tech media technology company started in April 2020. We were started at the beginning of the global pandemic if you think about the date it were our goal is to be the last mile for live sports. You go in create your profile you know select some of your favorite teams and, and players and leagues that you follow and you actually get a personalized notification to your phone when you know amazing things are happening in sports a lot of times a sports fan I get a lot of my information from Twitter and I might miss the highlight or miss the dunk or miss the last second play or the game winning home run or touchdown because I am not watching I didn't know what was happening um, or I find out shortly after it happens and so for us our goal is to kind of be on the front end of that of you getting a you know notification oh my gosh it's Michigan Ohio State Michigan's up you know five minutes left in the game tune in now and we were able to kind of see that moment live or you know we'll direct you to the right you know broadcasting um, vehicle or platform platform that is happening and also you're able, even allowed to we have a betting partner with FanDuel as well where people are able to play bets and and watch their the moments there so we're still very early we have um, partnerships with FanDuel as I mentioned as a gaming partner uh, the NBA WNBA just launched the, another season on our platform uh, NHL PGA golf um, and so we're really excited for into zone um, as our streaming partner having boxing matches over the last month or two on our on our platform so we're really excited um, for our future we we have uh, a lot of great investors like Naomi Osaka, Michael Jordan, Patrick Mahomes, and many others that are on that are part of our investor group as well. So they definitely believe in the product, believe in the problem we're trying to solve. Our problem we're trying to solve really is um, discovery of live sports. Right now, we're seeing so many streaming excuse me, streaming services like yeah. Peacock, Disney Plus, ESPN Plus. There's a lot of, you know, it's very fragmented, the live content sports space. And so our goal, how can we be an aggregator of that? And so the work I lead at Buzzard is more of our social impact arm, which is called our the Strive Initiative. So it was actually the first product Buzzer built. It wasn't our app that I just talked about. It was actually our. It's actually a mentorship program we created that paired over 500 black and brown college students with industry professionals in sports, media, technology, and entertainment. So that was kind of bedrock of our company. We founded this mentorship program in summer 2020. A lot of it is our vision of our CEO Bohan, our founder. He really believes in you know using the technology for good and diversity, equity, inclusion, and using our platform for change. That's been like you know he really wants Buzzer to be the blueprint of how startups should be founded, that you can create a really dope product, build a really a great stable business model, hire a diverse team, and positively contribute to society all at the same time. And those things are not mutually exclusive. And so for us, that's my role is kind of serving dual facing our social impact arm, which is Strive, um, our mentorship program. We've committed 1% of our company's net sales and equity and consumer engagement and even employee volunteerism dedicated to a mission of, of Strive to advance 
um, social economic justice for communities of color. So that's the social impact arm that I'm leading and also our internal DNI strategy. So once again, making sure that we say Black Lives Matter and our team reflects that as well, right? And so really kind of having that dual facing role kind of hopefully keeps us accountable internally and external, internally and externally. So loving my role, I'm like eight months in terms of being there full time. I love my team. I'm grateful that now being in a virtual world, I'm able to still live in Detroit, be involved in a lot of efforts and community involvement here in the city, but still be able to work for a, a, a great um, startup. Okay. Are you all going to be getting into NFTs? Yeah, and we're definitely exploring a lot of things. Um, I, I know that's something that we have teams that are exploring everything. You know, NFTs are really big in terms of sports and digital, and, and so we definitely are looking at everything in terms of betting now, how people consume sports and engage with it, the betting space, NFTs. There's so NIL now with student athletes. There's so many yeah. things that, as a, a early stage startup, there's we would have to explore all these things and figure out what's the best, what role that we can play to you know leverage partnerships, create more features in our products. I know we are exploring everything under the sun to, to help with the user experience on our app. Okay. So um, you mentioned this a little bit uh, with the legalization, national legalization of sports betting yep. and now the now all of these ubiquitous apps everywhere now yes. that you can utilize. <laughs> yes. Do you have any concerns about the legalization of sports betting or the impact yeah. It's going to have on society? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some things. I mean, I think it's probably better to be legalized than having stuff under the table, candidly. I think something that, though, I think I forgot what the numbers are, but the fact that, like, you know, black market or off the table betting is probably for sports betting is like a multi-billion dollar industry so it's probably better to have that a little more legalized and have more government regulation on it so i do think there's something there for that for for many reasons uh yeah. secondly too i mean there's always from i'm always thinking through a social responsibility lens there's always i know the problem with gambling addiction right and things like that too we, we you know living in detroit we have major casinos here too right and i definitely see a lot of billboards and psas and different things to to talk about how to you know support folks that might have have those issues and hopefully that continues to even be more reinforced um so yeah I, i'm candidly i'm not a a huge uh um better on sports i definitely use some things through buzzard to, to test things out and definitely as part of our, our app experience but that's the way people are consuming sports now it's been a big thing in the uk and london for many years around soccer or football uh, and that's how people consume it they have you know um uh, you know different bars and places that they're able to to bet so my concern, yeah, there's definitely the gambling. And also, I think something people are not realizing now, too, is especially with student athletes or even in professional sports, too, just, you know, hey, I place a bet on you and yelling at the, you know, the students. Or the, I think there's going to be some definitely some tension between fans who make bets and along with the athletes who maybe, hey, I'm not playing tonight or I have a bad game. or So I think there's going to be something, hopefully there's a ways to protect you know, everybody involved. I don't know what that looks like. I don't have a solution, but I do see that could be a potential issue down the line. Your relationship between the fan and the athlete. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, you're triggering a lot of stuff here. In my <laughs> head. I'm a sports guy. Yeah. But it's, uh, something that bugs me now in the NBA is this concept of load management. Yep. I mean, I understand the athletes yep. wanting to save their bodies for yep. the playoffs and take care of themselves. Yep. But in my opinion, they're also entertainers. Yep. And when I spend my hard-earned money yep. to go get tickets for Pistons, Lakers, yep. And, and LeBron's not playing. LeBron's not playing. Yep. That happened in twenty. That, that happened in twenty nineteen. I went to that. I went to that game that I yeah. thought LeBron was playing. He wasn't. Yes, I do remember that. So, what, do you, yeah. what is your what are your thoughts on load management? How yeah. do we how do we bridge that gap between yeah. the players saving themselves? Yeah. And still 
honoring their commitment as entertainers? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I know that I'm sure that the owners and the players are going to have that conversation once the next CBA happens. Like I said, I'm not on either side of the yeah. table, but from what I read and observe uh, in the news, I'm sure that's going to be an issue. It's been an issue. I think Greg Popovich, the head coach of the uh, San Antonio Spurs, is like the mastermind, <laughs> candidly, behind, behind that. And yeah. obviously it worked for me. Tim Duncan, Ginobili, and Tony Parker playing for almost 20 years um, has been really, uh, you know, kind of showing that. But, yeah, I, I think hopefully – He chased away Kawhi. Yeah, he definitely, he definitely <laughs> did. But, and Kawhi still – Kawhi still loves managers that people commit to. I cannot speak on athletes' bodies no, or okay. how they're feeling. But one thing I do feel like when, when definitely teams are going to a city, especially they're playing, like – only one time, like especially the Lakers, Golden State Warriors, teams that only come to Detroit once a year. I hope there's more incentives for those players to play. Yeah. Um, I just, lastly, I'll say I remember when the Golden State Warriors came uh, in November here, and I love I love Steph Curry, Jordan Poole's my yeah. man, Go Blue, Michigan, um, and I and he balled out, but Steph didn't play, Clay didn't play, Draymond didn't play um, because they had a game the night before in Cleveland, but I guess yeah. they want to play back to back, and so. And my solution, if I was had my commissioner's hat on, I would recommend like maybe you know finding a way to schedule to make sure they don't have back to backs or I don't know in terms or of the road. at least do the load management at home. Or that or do or exactly at forty two times. I, I, and that's exactly what I'm trying. To, I think the I think the away game is the biggest issue. Yeah, I think the away games when LeBron's not playing and like I said, I cannot speak on their bodies or anything like that. But it would be nice. I just remember going to games, paying money to see certain athletes, especially once in a generation type of athletes like LeBron, and not not playing for whatever reason. Well, we're going to transition yeah. now to what we call our lightning round. This okay. is a sex segment where we ask all our guests the same questions, yeah. and they mainly revolve around Detroit and your different experiences okay. in Detroit, trying to build up a catalog of yeah. how people spend their time and what they yes. do in the city. Okay. So uh, first question is, how do you practice self-care? That's a good question. A few things. I walk in Detroit Riverfront every morning, at least three to four miles, weather permitted. I use that time to meditate, reflect pray and express gratitude inside so Detroit Riverfront and get named what another year of being the top you know riverfront in the country again and so definitely a, a gem so I think just the meditation praying walking getting fresh air and exploring riverfront it's my form of self-care especially in the city okay what are you reading right now reading right now it's called uh I'm going to maybe butcher the name. I think it's called The Jump. It's a book from Larry Miller. He was the former CEO of the Jordan brand. Now he's a chairman of Jordan, uh, Jordan brand, but talks about his journey being a black man in corporate America and kind of being in these rooms. But his story is very interesting because he actually murdered someone at the age of 16 being part of a gang and spent several years in jail and never told anybody about it. And you know now this is all coming out. But he's definitely a power broker in the sports basketball nike jordan kind of intersection and i have someone who i've kind of he was the president of the portland trailblazers as well and so he's definitely especially from being a, a black male looking up to him and kind of you know following his career over the last decade or two and now having his memoir i'm reading that right now have to check that out mm -hmm. Uh, you mentioned earlier you're listening to a lot of podcasts. Yes. What are you listening to? Yeah, I mean, I listen to a lot of basketball and a lot of politics. Uh, I really ch candidly try to get away from, like, cable news, with, like CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. I think a lot of stuff is very, like, hot takes now, and so I try to get more facts. So I listen to NPR up first every day in terms of just getting my, like, daily news, at least gets my fix there. I read a lot, too. I, re I listen to a couple of podcasts, uh, you know, in addition to this one, of course. Um, you know, Knuckleheads is the basketball one I really love. 
of. Um, uh, there is um, Knuckleheads. There's actually a really good one called the Icons Club that focus on like the history of the game of basketball and like the you know from Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Dr. J. Jordan to Kevin Durant and, and Kobe and Shaq now, um, kind of documenting like this whole iconics club um, that goes through like who was part of it some of the greatest players how do they interact with each other how do they kind of pass the torch that's actually really good it's under the book of basketball podcast umbrella with bill simmons and um okay. and those folks the ringer over there but it's a really well done um series too so the book of basketball icons club is another one that i'm listening to regularly okay mm -hmm. what are you watching when you watch tv Right now, on NBA playoffs, uh, candidly, uh, right now. But other shows I'm watching um, are Atlanta. Even though it's not Detroit, I watch Atlanta's a, a great show. FX uh, with Childish Gambino being the creator there. Uh, I watch. I was watching Insecure with Issa Rae. I know it just ended this the end of the season, or the whole show just ended in the fall. But those are kind of the main shows. Atlanta and. Uh, NBA playoffs every single night. I think it's 40 games in 40 nights. So I've been watching it, uh, at least we really watching it through the, through the finals right now. Who do you think is going to win it all this year? Um, I mean, of course, I wish – I mean, I'm excited for the Pistons and Cade in the future. Obviously, we're not in it right now. The lottery's next week or next Monday. So yeah. well, hopefully we get a, a top three pick. But I might have to go and say Warriors. I mentioned I love Jordan Poole. Yeah. Uh, Steph Curry is one of my favorite players. A quick Steph Curry story back in 2008 when he kind of blew up on the national scene at Davidson College. Those games were at Ford Field here in Detroit. I think people don't always remember that, those, the Sweet 16 Elite Eight game. So my parents took me to, the, to that game. It was the first time going to a NCAA tournament game and watching him live and just bawling out. And for me, I'm like, oh, I'm a Steph Curry fan. I need to find a Davidson jersey, and I've been following his career ever since then. So I, I, my, my hat is on the Warriors this year. Okay. Yeah. Right. When you go out to eat, where do you go out to eat in the city? Yeah. So I'm a my girlfriend and I. We're a big wine. We love wine a lot. So like wine and dinner, and so a lot of spots we've been going to. Combination of both. I'll go with the wine shops really quickly. Just the House of Pierven right down the street on Woodward. Black owned a really great spot. Uh, the Royce as well. Uh, minority owned uh, wine shop too. So I've definitely been exploring that. In terms of eating, definitely I love uh, Layla, Vesa, uh, Samarello, some of those some of those spots. Um, but I, I got to go back to the classic Savannah Blue. I know it's owned by some great family friends, black owned uh, establishment. And I, I just love it. Um, and I, I and Detroit vegan soul as well. So those are two of my kind of go tos on a, a regular basis. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. well, so I probably go out way too much, and yeah. that's why no, I need to lose a little more weight as a result. Cool. <laughs> ah, that's cool because yes. yeah, we getting a lot of no. I don't go anywhere now because of yes. COVID. But so uh, separating and going out to eat. But where, when you go out to socialize, where do you go? Yeah, in addition to the wine bars I mentioned, um, yeah. one thing is I, I love. I think it's a gem still. The D Detroit Institute of Arts, the DIA. It's a beautiful building, beautiful artwork. It has a great black art exhibit, African American art exhibit. Um, I just love the DIA. I love spending time in Kresge Court. You know, solid food, get drinks, ex explore different exhibits. I'm actually, I'm also being. Uh, uh, I'm also supporting it because I'm also on the on the board of the Founder Juniors Council, which is the Young Professionals Board uh, for the DIA, and trying to get more young professionals to be you know active in the museum. And so for me, I'm a really big advocate of the DIA and spend a lot of time there. Okay. So you probably said this, but this leads yeah. in. A friend of yours is coming into town to visit the city. Yep. What is something they have to do while they're here? What they do is here. I mean, if they've never been here before, I mean, I think DIA for sure. 
you had to go to Motown. I think you had to go to Motown Museum, Hitsville, USA. You know, I think this is very iconic. I hope they have an opportunity just to like walk around, explore, even doing that walk through to Quinder Cut to like Eastern Market on a Saturday morning when it's like spring or summer. I think you just see like the most diverse people. You just see, I don't know, I think it's like the best of Detroit, candidly, is some is that. Um, I tell them to go there. I would recommend my wine spots I mentioned. Um, if they're able to sneak away, if, if it's a Michigan sporting event, depending on time of the year, I would maybe recommend a Michigan football Saturday. It'll, you know, drive 45 minutes west. Um, other places I would recommend, uh, there's this new spot called Spotlight. Um, it's kind of like a, a nightclub, a lot of outdoors on the east on the, you know east side of Detroit. I, I love that. And then lastly, hopefully you do like a kind of like walk or home tour. There's so many beautiful neighborhoods that are iconic, whether it's Boston Edison, where my mom grew up, um, you know, Palmer Woods, Sherwood Forest like a lot of beautiful just walking around and, and that I would recommend I love doing this walking different neighborhoods I take a lot of photos of really historical homes I think are very unique to Detroit very unique to our country and and something that we should be very proud of okay. and last question yeah. is where can we find you where do we find me? Uh, you can find me on on a few things. You can find me in a riverfront. I think a lot of times in the in the mornings I might not say anything because I will you know usually in my meditation mode, but always willing to say hi. But no, you can definitely find me on, on Twitter Dexter C Mason if you want to follow me there. I'm also on LinkedIn the same thing LinkedIn slash Dexter C Mason I think is the 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 LinkedIn. But definitely LinkedIn and Twitter are probably the best ways to to find me. I'm really active on both. I respond to DMs on 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 both as well. Then always happy to grab coffee, wine talk about Detroit, Michigan sports. Um, and like I said, I love this city. I love this university. And I'm always going to be a, a cheerleader and champion of it. Cool. Well, thank you, Dexter. No, really thank you. This was you cool, brother. On, no, man. thank you. And, uh, no, I love it's this. Good to see you again. I know it's been way too long. It's been three years. It's yeah, crazy. You know. Yeah, it's been but, way yeah. too long. No, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Dexter Mason, uh, you've been listening to the Distinctly Detroit podcast. You can find us anywhere you get your pods. Please rate, review, and like, and subscribe. And uh, we'll see you next time. Go Blue. No, go Blue. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Distinctly Detroit podcast. This is a production of the University of Michigan Detroit Center, and you can find us anywhere you get your pods. Please rate, review, and subscribe. This podcast is directed and produced by Marlon Franklin, edited by Taylor Henniger, with writing contributions by James Neely and Leah Allen. Thank you for listening.